Good morning. It's great to be back together with you. Take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we are offering two identical services now, trying to help respond to some greater distance and uh, accommodating the growing congregation. And so if you're, you're not aware you're here just because you're normally here at 9.30, we're going to have an identical service at 11 o'clock, so just a half-hour gap in between. The career group is meeting today at 620 Powdersville right after this service, and we're in discussions. I know the youth group is in discussion as to their plan going forward as to which service they would offer a time for the teens to meet. And so this will also then eventually apply to the Palmetto College group. So just a quick update on what's going on. The, the students from Bob Jones University will be officially allowed to come to church all over Greenville starting February 7th. So I think we'll see an uptick on uh, students in our group. But I get to talk to you about something that, um, given our new identical one-hour services, means i got to either talk fast or be selective about what I say. So... I want to encourage you to perhaps take a look at the notes that I have for you online at pbcpowdersville.org, and I'll refer to some things and say, more is there, read about it if you'd like to. But this is a very practical section of the book of Ephesians, and I'm excited to walk you through this section. And if you look with me, I think a summary of the entire sermon is actually found in verse 15 of chapter 4. So look down in your Bible, chapter 4 of Ephesians, in verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So it's a very simple overview of us understanding communication. So it starts with speaking and not clamming up. Speaking truthful things, not turning the corners a little bit by exaggeration or holding back, and then doing it in a way that is loving. Some are really good at speaking up, but they don't do it in love. Others don't say a thing, or they don't quite say the truth about it. And so Paul helps us understand how we can do this with some very practical principles in verses 25 through 32, which we just looked at together. A little bit of a context for you. Poor communication impacts all sorts of relationships. It, of course, impacts relationships in the workplace, and it cuts down in the productivity in the workplace. If you have a boss who doesn't communicate well with you or in the way of not communicating at all or talking down to you, it really discourages productivity in whatever work context that you happen to be. I know that when it comes to the court, if you have a coach who's screaming at you all the time, I bring up a Hall of Famer here, Izzo, but he's screaming at one of his future NBA players, it's a little discouraging. And coaches, for some reason, feel like they get a pass when it comes to screaming at people. Do you really, do I get a pass when I'm really, really upset about something or passionate about something? Is the only way you're going to understand that I really mean business is if I'm yelling at you? Some preachers think that, right? Um, I don't think it works all that well. The reality, and this is a harsh reality, that poor communication is one of the top three causes of divorce between couples. Infidelity and financial mismanagement are the other two, the top two. The third one is communication, poor communication. So this is applicable in that case. And then, of course, in the family setting, teenagers to parents, teens, if you think that you have the right to yell at your parents, to not communicate with your parents because you don't feel like sharing stuff, you're absolutely wrong. And we need to address this from the side of what is communication supposed to look like. And I'm going to throw out one that we have seen in some level 
in our modern era, but this is an amazing reality that poor communication in media can cause death. Listen to this quick story. In 1899, four reporters from Denver, Colorado, met by chance on a Saturday night in a Denver railroad station. Al Stevens, Jack Turney, John Lewis, and Hal Wilshire worked for the four Denver papers, the Post, the Times, the Republican, and the Rocky Mountain News. Each had the unenviable task of finding a scoop for the Sunday edition. They hoped to spot a a visiting celebrity arriving that evening by train. However, none showed up, so the reporters wondered what on earth they would do. As they discussed options in a nearby saloon, Al suggests that they make up a story. The other three laughed at first, but before long they, they were all agreed they would come up with such a whopper that no one would question it and their respective editors would congratulate them on their find. A phony local story would be too obvious, so they decided to write about something far away, far away, far off place. Uh, they agreed on China. What if we say that some American engineers on their way to China told us they are bidding on a major job? The Chinese government is planning to demolish the Great Wall of China. Harold was not sure the story would be believable. Why would the Chinese ever tear down the Great Wall of China? Well, as a sign of international goodwill to invite in foreign trade is the response. By 11 p.m., the four reporters had worked out the details, and the next day, all four Denver newspapers carried the story on the front page. The Times headlined that Sunday read, Great Chinese Wall Doomed, Peking Seeks World Trade. Of course, the story was a a ridiculous tall tale made up by four opportunistic newsmen in a hotel bar. But amazingly, their story was taken seriously and soon ran in newspapers in the eastern U.S. and even abroad. When the citizens of China heard that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to dismantle the Great Wall, most were indignant, even enraged. Particularly angry were members of a secret society made up of Chinese patriots already against any kind of foreign intervention. Moved to action by the news story, they attacked the foreign embassies in Peking and murdered hundreds of missionaries from abroad. In the next two months, 12,000 troops from six countries working together invaded China to protect their countrymen. The bloodshed of that time, born out of a journalistic hoax fabricated in a saloon in Denver, was the time of violence known ever since as the Boxer Rebellion. Oh, how great destruction can come by our tongue. Speak, speak the truth and speak the truth in love. Let's consider Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. As you look down on this text of scripture, it's one big paragraph, and it's longer than I normally would try to tackle in one time, but it all fits together. And I want to just briefly show you how it all connects, and then I want to unpack for you these five wonderful principles. And actually, this is how I'd unpack it. The first thing is, we have to make the connection to the earlier part of the book. And when I say that, it's important for us to understand that we have to believe the truth. And in chapter 1, if you wanted to, you could turn your Bible over to chapter 1, and you'll see in verses 3 through 6 that God the Father chose us in eternity past. 
And in verses 7 through 12, God the Son redeemed us in the, in the present. In verses 13 through 14 of chapter 1, God the Holy Spirit seals us for the future. And we're introduced at the very beginning that the Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation, in our assurance of salvation, in everything dealing with our response to his working in us, which should impact the way we talk to other people, is what I'm bringing up. So we need to believe the facts. And then if we continue to transition, look at these words in verse 4. He chose us. Verse 5, he adopted us. Verse 7a of chapter 1, he redeemed us. Verse 7b, he forgave us. And then as a description, he gives to us, in verse 11, or bequeaths to us an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. This is good news, and this is what Paul is basing his comments about how to communicate on. If we continued in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it's the glories of our salvation. By grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And in the whole beautiful phrase in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy... This is why we communicate the way we should. And then in chapter 2, 11 through 22, we see a description of two different groups of people at odds with each other, Jews and Gentiles, made together as one new people because of Jesus and the peace that's offered through Jesus. We should communicate based on that. Chapter 3, we're introduced to the whole concept in verses 1 through 13 of chapter 3 about the mystery of the church. And then 14 through 22 of chapter 3, we see an example of a prayer request made and the reality that we can communicate with others in the way God intends because Jesus dwells in our hearts. And if we feel like I can't communicate with that person in this circumstance, in that way, I want to remind you in chapter 3, verses 20 to the end, he is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or think. This is the God that we're talking about. So we need to believe those truths. Then you look at chapter 4, we see the therefore, which is connecting us into a very practical section. And please look down in your Bible, chapter 4, and notice in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. See the word walk there? That has to do with going about your daily business based on the theological truth that we just looked at. Walking worthy of your calling. We see that word come up again in verse 17. Look at it in chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How do the Gentiles walk? Well, in verses 17 all the way to 24, they walk in the wrong way in their thinking. They think like Gentiles. And Paul says, don't think that way. And what we're going to consider today is don't talk like Gentiles do. Actually talk the right way. We're actually introduced to the way he thinks theologically in chapter 4, in verse 21 through 24. He gives us this, this uh, perspective of put off, renew your mind, and put on. And we're going to see Paul use that same method in describing how to communicate. And it's just a beautiful concept. And if you look in the notes, you'll see how walk continues to have a theme throughout the book of Ephesians. Also understand the structure. What we're going to see in Ephesians 4, 25-32, you're going to see with me five principles of communication, and it always starts out with this idea of there is a negative command, something to avoid, put off. Then you're going to see a positive command, something to put on, and then you're going to see a motivation behind it, the reason for it. A lot of times we miss the, the sharing why we should do what we are called to do. So it's put off, 
put on, and, and here's why. And, and what I found, it's been interesting as I've looked at this particular uh, section of Scripture, it's very well written upon, a lot of sections of Scripture are, but when it comes to the practical things, right? Um, Steve Byers has a wonderful series on the four principles of communication. And I have a link to his, uh, his sermon notes there at the bottom of the page if you look there. I also have uh, several different descriptions on communication, include four and it throws me a little bit because in each of them, they seem to conveniently skip over verse 28. And I'm not really sure why, but when I look at it, I see five principles. That's how it's laid out in the grammar, and so that's how we're going to look at it together. So let's consider these together. And I hope this is an encouragement to you, whether it's a work context, whether it's a home context, whether it is this idea of trying to figure out how to take that next step in, in a friendship We need to apply these principles to our lives. So let's start out with the first one. Be honest. Therefore, there's another connecting. Just like the thinking thing, let me talk about the talking thing. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Notice the negative. Put away falsehood. The positive, speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Therefore, we have the reason. So to put it really simply here, negative put away falsehood. The falsehood here is this concept of lies. And you know who the father of lies happens to be? It's the devil. So don't lie. Just don't outright look at someone and say, I'm not going to be honest with you. There's so many ways to do that. I think the Christianized, sanitized version is exaggeration. Stop exaggerating. Stop trying to impress people with facts because the truth is, God sees, and you know, when someone says, how'd you do on that test? And, and you actually barely got an A. You're like, I got an A. How about if you say, I barely got an A? It's okay. Or, you know, with pastors, it's how many people showed up at church? Well, and there's a Baptistic, like hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, we had 20. But anyway, it was awesome. <laughs> how about you say we had 20? Or the giving, you know, we want to say the giving is always great. Actually, when I look at the giving, I'm not really excited about how we're doing in the giving category. We're down over $10,000 in our budget right now. But we need, you need to know, if you don't know the truth, what do we do? We act like everything's fine. Don't act like it's fine. Be honest. Put away lying. That's something that needs to start, just a commitment. And, and when you do lie, step up to the plate and say, you know what, I should not have said that. Will you forgive me? I wanted to impress you too much, and I shouldn't have said that. What does that take? Well, it takes a good gospel view, and it takes a lot of humility, Right? But this idea of putting away, put away, there's that concept of take off, put aside. It's literally take off the dirty clothes and drop them. Take off the dirty clothes of lying and why. Well, I love this truth. You belong to the body. The reason why we need to do it is because you belong to the body of Christ. The connection is already to our chapter 4, verse 15, speak the truth in love, and Christ is the head, and you belong to the body. So stop acting like we don't know who you are. Really, I think literally it's referring to the fact that in small group ministry or community group ministry, don't try to fake it. We know you too well. Now, many are not taking advantage of the opportunity to be in a small group setting to have people know them at that level because it's a little alarming, right? I'm good with showing up to church or just sticking with the online format, but you want me to go to someone's house and, and engage in sharing my life with other people? It is challenging, but it is super rewarding. And I want to challenge you and encourage you, 
Don't lie. We know you better than that. And you, you need to be known at that level, right? It's your choice, but I'm encouraging you. One of the ways that it helps you keep back from lying is getting connected. And, and I want to make a gospel truth connection to each of these points. The gospel truth connection is Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, Christ as the head, and we are members together. Who makes this community possible? The answer is Jesus. So be honest. Second one, keep current. Now this one is a little difficult because it starts with not the negative. It actually starts with a positive imperative. Be angry and sin not, it says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So it's said negatively, but it's another way of saying if you don't let the sun go down on your anger, you're actually keeping current with the struggle that you are struggling with and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, This is a a packed packaged together, and I want to break it down in this way. The negative is do not be sinfully angry. What does it mean to be sinfully angry? Well, if you're wondering what sinful anger looks like, take your eyes and look down at verse 31. Verse 31 of our text, Ephesians 4. This is what sinful anger, anger looks like. It looks like all bitterness and wrath come before sinful anger. And then there's anger, and then the result is clamor and slander which leads eventually to malice. To not have sinful anger is to just get a little bit upset about something without being bitter about it and it producing within you like, oh, I'm going to explode. And now I'm going to be upset for a while. Now I'm going to clamor about it. So you can actually be angry and not sin, Paul tells us. And that's an interesting concept. And it's actually hard to do. I think about this, uh, this idea of being angry and not sinning. The, the word for the anger here is the similar word used in Matthew 18, the master who forgave a massive debt to his servant. And, and then the servant sees someone else who owed him a little bit of money and just grabs him by the neck and throws him into prison. When the master finds out about it, he is angry. There's our word for anger and throws him into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a righteous kind of anger. God is known to be angry throughout Scripture. So if God can be angry, it means anger is not necessarily wrong. To be angry is not to be wrong. He's known to be angry in Numbers 25.4, Jeremiah 4.8, and 12.13. We know Jesus became angry, don't we know that? Can you think of the one case where it's most classic, where he obviously was upset? When he was in the temple or he saw the temple being abused and how it was used, and so he went in there with a whip, and he flipped over tables and drove out those that were selling things in the temple. Please note, and this has been so helpful to me as I've considered that text, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, in John two fifteen, it tells us that Jesus created a whip. And this is how it's helpful to me. If I am sinfully angry, it's a result of wrath and it leads to clamor, I'll just explode on you. And it's wrong. Jesus was righteously angry, and so he took some time to make a whip. If you look how long that takes, it's about 20 minutes. Not that I've made one, but I'm just saying in research, it takes about 20 minutes. So he, was, he had plenty of time to think about how angry he was, right? And he wasn't explosive in the sense. He did flip over tables, But he was doing everything very controlled and deliberate. And here we see this example, negative, don't be sinfully angry. You can be angry at sin, 
but don't be sinfully angry. Psalm 97.10, we should hate evil. But many of us really fall short when it comes to this idea of saying, I am justified in my anger towards you. So what do we do? We keep short, short accounts. It says in, in verse 26 that we don't let the sun go down on our anger. And just take that to mean as a picture of what it says. Don't let 24 hours pass between your observation of something that really bugs you, even if it's, it's sin that's bugging you in your relationship with another person. Don't let it go on for years and years and years. It will not help you at all. I'm just guaranteeing you, not at all, not one bit. It will create more and more problems it will turn into bitterness and wrath and clamor and ultimately into this idea of, bitter, uh, of malice, which is actually hatred towards someone. It's not a good thing. And I love this reality, too, as, as I consider this. Um, why is this going on? Well, um, it's because that we feel justified in what we're doing. I have a right to be angry, and I'm going to keep it. it. It's like a warm blanket, and actually it dismantles relationships. The, the scripture tell, tells us in Matthew 5.25, agree with your adversary quickly. Matthew 18.15, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. It's not a delay thing. It's a right away thing. Keep short, short account. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger, your angry mood, your state of holding a grudge. I love this motive. Look at this motive. Because you can resist the devil. Why? Well, James tells us in chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what gives you the right to resist the devil? Let me tell you this. This is the gospel truth. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 3, tells us you were once under the control of the prince of the power of the air, but God, who is rich in mercy, offered you the gospel and Satan no longer has his grip on you. You don't have to let Satan have a foothold in your life, in your relationship. You, though, need to get honest and say, you know what, this is really bugging me. And practically speaking, perhaps one of the ways you could do this is go up to someone and say, listen, can I talk to you for a second? This is really on my mind. Something's been bugging me about something that happened today. And make sure it is, as we're going to see, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Make sure it's the right timing and the right context, but share your burden. In a marriage relationship, my recommendation to you is don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't pillow your head until you've gotten it right. And at the very least, practically speaking, there are times when you are both absolutely exhausted and unresolved as to what the solution is long term. But don't go to bed until you can say, listen, we're both tired we both know this is an issue. I love you. Yeah, I love you too. Let's work on this tomorrow after we get a good night's rest and we can think about it and talk about it. That's not letting the sun go down on your wrath. That's allowing you to say, I, look, this is bigger than us right now that can be solved right now, but I am admitting we need to deal with this and so set it up in that way. But be serious about this. Relationships don't get better with time. It, it, it just gets worse. If you find yourself picking an alternative sidewalk when you see someone walking your way because of an unresolved issue, that's sin, it's wrong. It's a fear of man thing. I want to encourage you to just say, you know, can I talk to you for a second? Or can I set up a time when we can resolve this issue? Because Satan loves to do that. He loves to work you up in that sort of way. I had a picture here that's not showing up, so you get a white screen. Here's the, the intent is the story of a couple um, 
Warren Wearsby is one of a favorite author of mine. In fact, I was talking to one of you that is in a class that I teach about a book he wrote on ministry, on, on being a servant of God. But he tells the story of an elderly couple and a man that comes into his office and says, would you conduct a, my wedding? I want to get married. And, and Warren Wearsby was very careful as a pastor. He said, yeah, I would love to talk to you, but could you give me a little bit of background on it? And he went, goes on to tell the story how he was married to this person that he's going to bring into the office in just a second, but he made the mistake of getting upset at her and letting that just create a wedge, and then they separated, and that led to a divorce, and they spent 30 years apart, and he said, it was the biggest mistake of my life. He says, I'm here, and I want to make it right. See, time doesn't heal anything. That's a lie that the time heals. Time makes things worse sometimes. And I want to encourage you to be one that if you come to um, the altar and you have something against your brother or your brother has something against you is actually how it says, and you know it, go try to resolve it. And if you've tried to resolve it and they don't want to resolve it, you've done what you can. You understand? You're not holding on to this anger. You're not holding on to this unresolved tension. But consider that. So keep current. Number three, you with me so far? We just have five, okay, so we're on number three. Number three, invest in the process. Now this is the interesting one to me because this is the one that is not found in most of the principles of communication. And it's because it's a little awkward, because we're talking about right kind of talking and it's clear about being honest and keeping current, you know, not letting the sun go down on your raft. And then all of a sudden it breaks into let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It seems like it doesn't quite fit, but let me unpack it to you, uh, for you in a way that I hope makes sense. Wow, the slides are really off. They're, they're not working? I gotta go back to old school? Okay, you guys have to try harder, and I will too. Notice this, look at verse 28, okay? Verse 28, this may be our last verse on the PowerPoint, but I hope you have your Bible. Here is the negative. Let the thief no longer steal. Don't steal. And I love the words here, how it's played out in the Greek. They're very related. This is the word klepton. Don't be a klepton. Don't steal, klepteto. So don't be a klepton who kleptetos, okay? So don't be one who's taking what doesn't belong to him, but rather... Labor, and this word for labor is the idea of to the point of exhaustion. And the, and the next word is doing honest, which means good work. And the work there is the idea of that which is working with your hands, which is a task that can be accomplished. So instead of taking what doesn't belong to you, exhaust yourself in doing something purposeful. Okay, And, and the idea of purpose is in that word work so that you have something good to share. And this is really important. You work with your own hands, not taking from someone else, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the purpose. So the negative, do not steal. The positive, work hard. The reason, practice Christian charity by working hard to have resources to give away. This did take me into an interesting little journey in my study this week. And what I found out is that there is a call here not to be a needy person. Now, now, don't get thrown off when I say this to you because 
there are many times in my life when I need something. I need the body of Christ to come alongside of me to help me, but my goal is not to be a needy person. Actually, my goal is to be productive so that I can provide for my own needs so I have resources in abundance to help those that have needs. If I have exhausted my own needs, when someone else has a need, I have nothing to share, nothing good to give you. And that happens sometimes in ministry, and it definitely happens in communication. If you are at your wit's end with someone, and they come and they're just going at you, you do not have the resources to say, I want to tell you that I am willing to work hard to resolve this conflict because I'm a born-again believer and because it matters. And to make a connection, the gospel connection is found in Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he has preordained that we should walk in them. So you might be at conflict with me, but this is what I know. God doesn't want that. And so I'm willing to work at it. Now as I started to unpack that concept, I think it starts with this idea, when I'm in conflict with someone else, I need to work on the process. How does that start? I think it starts with the way I think, and it turns into the way I respond to others. So a parallel passage, if you looked in your Bible, you'll see in the concordance, there's a a reference to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, it's Paul's farewell address to the elders in Ephesus. And turn over there so you can see that with me. Acts chapter 20, he's saying goodbye. And as he says goodbye, he refers to working with his own hands and see how this works in connection to communication. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Notice the heart motivation. There's personal contentment. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. So he's personally content. I, didn't, I don't want what you have. You have what you have. Good for you. To put it in somewhat of an alliterated form, personal serenity. Look at verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. This is the concept not only of this serenity, but personal responsibility. I ministered to my own needs. I took care of what I needed. I wasn't asking you to provide for me. I'm content with what I have. I work at what I need. And then there's this personal generosity where it talks about in verse 34 at the end, these hands have ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. So he's willing to give to those that have need. And in all things, verse 35, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. And as I unpack that, I think about my own heart attitude. I've got to check my heart. Am I personally content with my, the context I find myself in? Am I responsible in my own walk with the Lord? Am I generous? If I have those things because I'm overwhelmed by the gospel, when we have tension, I'm willing to work hard at it. And I'm telling you, communication takes a lot of work. You know this in your relationships with those around you. The easiest place to illustrate it, of course, would be in marriage because it takes a lot of work. You have to constantly fight for opportunities, whether it is even to to take uh, time out of your week to have that conversation about some of the difficult things like intimacy, like finances, like how are we communicating together? We've taken the hard step of getting a game. You're like, what? (laughs) 
It's a, a, a questions that we ask one another, Heather and I. And so I'll ask her, and, and I'm supposed to guess what she would think, and then she guesses what I would think. So we're trying to be creative in our communication together. Those of you that I've had the privilege of going through premarital counseling with, which feels like a bunch of you right now, but um, I've told you that there's this thing called withholds, where you notice something about your spouse that bothers you, but you know it's not big enough to make an issue of at that point. You have a point in your week where you say, let's talk about our withholds, and then you each share, this is my withhold, and then you're supposed to say thank you. Then the other says, this is my withhold, you're supposed to say thank you. Then you share a positive, then she shares a positive, and then you come back to resolution of that one that was so negative. It takes discipline, but it's a good thing to do. These are just practical steps. And in that footnote by Vyer's outline, he has several other really practical steps that you can take. Have you heard this statement? No doubt you have. It's actually sourced by Richard Clark, though I've heard it most by Stephen Covey, but the concept is seek first to understand before being understood. And someone who gets this is going to be like Zacchaeus in Luke 19.8, who after he realizes his fault of taking from others and exacting money as a tax, he comes to know Jesus and he gives back fourfold what he had taken before. And if you want to be good in your communication, you have to be gospel-centered, and that gospel-centered nature is going to keep you honest, and it's going to keep you current, and you're going to say, I am in this for the long haul. It's not perfection. It's just the way it works through all of this. So that being said, notice number four, verses 29 through 30. Number four, attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Let's look at our negative command. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This is the word for unwholesome. This is, this is not good. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't let rotten words spew out of your mouth. Out of the mouth should not come blessings and cursings. These things ought not so to be. If you think that the way to communicate is to get really riled up and to use profanity before you're really understood or taken seriously, I want to challenge you that as a believer, that's not the way we need to speak to one another. Now, I know I'm I'm touching on sacred ground because I'm talking about your own personal relationships and interaction, and I am not a fool to, to realize, I realize that in the homes of members of our church, when you really get mad at each other, it comes out with expletives. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or sometimes it's not even, I'm sorry. But how do you respond if that happens? You're the spouse and you hear it. You're just like, whoa, I guess he's really serious. I guess she's really serious. And I'm going to suggest to you, you ready for this? I mean this to be helpful, that that is completely ghetto. That is Jerry Springer Live, for those of you that remember the 20-year run of that, store, that show on cable TV, which was about tension lived out in front of other people, and Jerry Springer, oh, I don't know what to do with this, and they're yelling and they're fighting and they're pulling out hair, and everyone watched it and thought it was awesome. This is not how believers should respond to each other, but it is how we sometimes respond. So I'm calling you back to gospel-centered focus, which means be wholesome in your communication. And notice it says in verse 29, the positive, but only such as is good for the building up. So do your words build up? That's a construction term. I want to help you become a better person. That's a term that refers to, I'm not just thinking about myself. Why? Because I'm content with who I am. 
I have that personal serenity. I'm responsible with my own responses to you because I'm walking in the Spirit, and I have to give to those that have need. And so here, I want to help you. You're trying to build up. And I love this phrase, as fits the occasion. Because you know what I found myself doing? Too many times I have, and you can ask Heather about this, I have a tendency to have answers for problems that I see right in front of me. And, and that's sometimes not fitting the occasion. You understand? Like, you, I have, I'm, 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 I'm completely, you know, you could say I'm content. I'm responsible. I have something to share. You have a problem? Let me build you up. Let me fix you, is what I'm saying. No one likes to be a project. Treat each other as an image bearer of God with dignity and respect and say, hey, can, can I share a suggestion? Not right now. Okay, that's cool. We'll wait. We really want to encourage one another in the process. Why? That it may minister grace to the hearers. This is a good thing. And if that's not enough, ministering grace to the hearers, notice this connection in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why should you communicate in this way that's building up? Because you don't want to sucker punch the Holy Spirit. The word for grieving the Holy Spirit is an interesting term which has the idea of resisting the Spirit, which has the idea of really discouraging, well, discouraging is probably not the right word theologically, offending the Spirit by the way you're talking to other people. Why should that matter? Gospel-centered truth, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 and 15, because, because of the Holy Spirit, you are sealed until the day of redemption. He guarantees you an inheritance, so you don't want to do anything to offend our great and holy God. The way you talk to your spouse, your coworker, your friend, your neighbor, if it's unwholesome, if it's rotten, God is looking down and saying, why are you doing that? That's hurtful. And the last one, verses 31 to 32. If you're not following, since we don't have our nice PowerPoint, be honest, okay? Keep current. Invest in the process, because it's a lot of hard work. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not... So when I'm yelling at someone, you always, you did that, I'm, I'm attacking the person. When there's a problem, I'm trying to build up and resolve issues. And the last one, in the last two verses, is act, don't react. Act, don't react. And notice this in verse 31 and 32. Here's our series. Let all bitterness, which is resentment, animosity, or spite, wrath, which is fury, passion, rage, anger, which is a state of relatively strong displeasure, clamor, which is the idea of shouting and screaming, slander, it's denigration, defaming, disrespecting, malice, baseness, depravity, and wickedness. Let all these things be put away from you, thrown off like filthy clothes. And notice the digression that happens. That's the negative. Put that off right now. The positive, be kind. Three positives. Be kind to one another. Gracious, easy, loving is what kind means. Be compassionate or tender-hearted. This is the idea of having from a gut level, I actually like you. There's a difference between putting up with someone and saying, you know what, I actually, actually like you. Forgiving one another. This is the idea of canceling a debt, pardoning that person. And how do you do it? 
What's the reason? Look at this reason. It's gospel-centered. Be like God, who through Jesus Christ forgave you everything. So when you're engaging in a tension point, a conflict-type relationship, remember of what you have been forgiven of. And sometimes you need to step back and just reflect on Scripture and say, man, God, you are amazing, and I want to work. I have to work through this. So here's my application. I want to encourage you to reflect on what's coming out of your mouth. Because what's coming out of your mouth reflects what's going on in your heart. So if I'm talking to you today and you're saying, you know what, I'm guilty of X, Y, Z. I mean, lots of things maybe that I've said today. It was a very challenging text, convicting as I'm studying it for myself. Okay, so as I understand this, in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So I just call you to repent. Just say, I, I'm, I, I did it. And recommit to walking in the Spirit. The other thing I want you to understand is good communication is the fruit of a, re- a renewed mind. If you really want to start communicating the right way, then go back and look at verses 20 through 24. Put off sin, be renewed in your mind, and put on Christ. Look at how Christ responded when he was in turmoil. Recalibrate your motives to the motives and mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2. Reflect on the gospel truths that I've tried to bring up to you. So if you go back and reread this text, think about negative, positive, put off, put on, and then the reason for it. And reflect on that reason for it and try to connect the dots with other places in the first three chapters of Ephesians that motivates Paul to say what he's saying. And the last one, communication takes a lot of work. So my encouragement to you is to reflect on those five principles. Be honest, keep current, invest in the process, attack the problem, not the person, act, don't react, and ask yourself which one of those five needs my immediate attention this week. And pick one, and by God's grace, study that out and apply it in your life. And just take it progressively, because it's this joy of progressively being changed by the gospel. Let's pray together.